You're listening to North Bay Christ the King's weekly sermon podcast. In this week's message, Hans Erchinger Davis of the Lighthouse Mission speaks on impacting the poor of Whatcom County. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Tyler. I'm another one of the pastors here. And uh, North Bay has been partnering with Lighthouse Mission for many years. Um, Lighthouse Mission is really on the forefront for addressing issues like homelessness and poverty here in Whatcom County. And uh, today I'm really excited. We're really blessed to have the executive director of Lighthouse Mission, um, Hans Erkanger Davis. <laughs> I gotta get that last name, man. I'm sorry. I'll get it next service. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we're, he's gonna he's gonna address um, this issue, and we're in this series called uh, Divine Decisions. But he's gonna help us uh, shed some light on issues surrounding poverty and homelessness. Um, it, which, which are, are very spiritual issues. And I was reminded of the story this week of, of the Good Samaritan. And in the Good Samaritan, you remember, uh, you might remember that, uh, that there, there was a man who was beaten and, and stripped and lying on a roadside. And um, two very religious people just passed him by and, and chose not to engage him. Where, where one who was sort of a social outcast, um, a Samaritan, which was, a, which was a, not a good connotation in, in those times, stopped and, and helped and served that person. And, and all throughout scripture, helping those in need is, is critical to uh, our spiritual walks, our spiritual lives. And um, what, what Hans is going to do today is he's, he's going to walk us um, through, through this discussion of poverty. He's going to answer the question first, what is poverty? How should we understand poverty? And then he's also going to help us figure out what we can do. Um, because um, it's, not, it's not as cut and dry as someone lying on a roadside for us. Um, the issues... Issues like homelessness, like poverty, are complex issues. And so hopefully today uh, you'll feel equipped and encouraged and empowered to, uh, to, to do something. And uh, so I'm just excited. If you guys would give it up for Hans, he's coming up right now. Thanks for being here, Hans. Yes, my name is Hans Erchinger Davis. I have that long, weird last name, so my kids sound like little law firms. <laughs> Jesus starts his ministry in the synagogue, reading from the great scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was the messianic job description. This is what it meant to be the Messiah. Those things being accomplished. Journey with me on a short story of someone that came through our mission. Douglas firs flashed by the window while the plunk-plunk sound of I-5's concrete lulled the other bus riders to sleep. And with Grandpa's World War I bayonet knife resting loose and warm in his jacket pocket, 
Barry fantasized, bleeding himself in the Greyhound back bathroom. This was how he started in with me one morning, all rotund and sweaty in my cramped, cramped chaplain's office overlooking the kitchen dumpster, emphasizing his need for some sort of self-inflicted justice. Things went to cuss in Tucson, he bellowed. This is church, so I changed the, the word he used. <clears throat> but he carried a deep shame. That night, tossing and turning, grasping at sanity like a big fidgety lumberjack, Barry was bringing inadvertent grief to his mission bunkmate, another unusual hulking man, a failed Pentecostal minister. In his own shame, this failed minister shrugged off slapping him and eventually pitied Barry with quiet conversation. A friendship was struck, and the faint whispers of pastoral calling began to reanimate the giant. Three weeks into their friendship, and with news of the stingray taking out the crocodile hunter, the whispers intensified, and the hulking minister found energy above his own depression to utter, You need Jesus, Barry. You need forgiveness. we got to get you baptized. That afternoon in the fish hatchery holding ponds at Maritime Heritage Park, Barry was tenderly dunked, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Barry, only half understanding what just happened, felt a compulsion to get into the wild. The air felt different. Something special had taken place. Up to F Street and into Battersby Field he went. The sun was out. On his knees, he withdrew the bayonet knife, and he cut deep into the grass, which seemed greener for some reason. A small hole was carved as deep as the blade. He broke the knife over his knee, and he buried it. Laying atop this grave, eyes wide open and prostrate to the sky, he proceeded to give himself up. And Barry entered the discipleship program at the mission a few days later. If you look at the scriptures... You can't get past the fact that God has a deep concern for the poor. Everywhere you look, you see it. And God is actively at work in the poor. Even, even uh, and I won't go through all the scriptures because there's too many to, to get through. But even Paul, uh, in Galatians 2.9, he meets the Jerusalem council and he's meeting there with Peter and uh, the leadership there. So Paul and Barnabas are actually trying to get to work with the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And they're trying to get the church's blessing to do it. Verse 10. This is Paul speaking. All that they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. The very thing I had been eager to do all along. So even our apostolic forebearers had a deep concern for the poor. There's an interesting book uh, called The Rise of Christianity by a guy, a sociologist at Baylor University, who isn't a professing Christian, but he was fascinated by the fact that Christianity grew like it did. And he was trying to articulate why that might be. Well, he figured it out. It was 3% increase annually. Uh, but what were the reasons that, that caused that 3% growth? And after a lot of years, that's a, a lot of people, Right? Well, the biggest reasons he had 
was the Christians' care for the poor, the concern for the sick. They stepped outside of their ghettos. Rome was a walled city and lots of internal groupings inside, and they would step outside and work with other folks to care for their poor and their sick. They stuck around during the plagues. The second thing was a high value of women. Women were allowed to participate in worship. The church grew like gangbusters as women entered in. And then lastly, martyrdom, the fact that people were willing to die for their faith. That spoke volumes as others looking in wonder what was happening. So the question I ask us here today is what's our signature issue of the church? From earliest times, whether Jew or Gentile, concern for the poor was their signature issue. It played a key role in our early church fathers as well. Sometimes us evangelicals don't know our own heritage. You can't read Luther, Calvin, Bart, the Wesleys, uh, George Mueller, Bristol, Menno Simons without having an understanding that our evangelical heritage is very much concerned with poverty. Again, what ought to be our signature issue today? Is there a, an apathy in our North American Christianity? Is there a loss of that signature issue? Self-sufficiency, triumphalism, materialism. Uh, 60% of churches in North America preach a form of prosperity gospel. Is it affluence, individualism? Who are the folks whose signature issue is the poor today that you think of? Bono from U2. Angelina Jolie. That's their signature issues. So what's happened to our church today? My feeling is uh, it's almost like a form of spiritual leprosy. You're familiar with leprosy. Your nerves stop working. Uh, you injure yourself and, and your, your skin's damaged and it starts to fall off. It's a pretty horrific disease. Well, we can't feel the pain of the wounded body. And so we slowly die. So how do you restore that feeling? Well, you restore your sight. You don't turn the other way, right? You be in communication. You be in relationship. There's an incredible richness that comes when you get the materially poor together with the spiritually poor. Something beautiful takes place. Let me tell you another story. Paul, the young man, uh, mouthed silently fisting his forearm to his hip in view of a friend who promptly dropped a cantaloupe out the bus window. Garnering a few snickers, they quickly pressed their cheeks against the glass to watch it explode in the concrete, whipping up seeds and orange flesh like a sunflower made of silly putty. The driver, attentive to chasing the other melon-picking buses, thought the kids quieter than usual. Pull, Bill mouthed again, the coast clear. The melon dropped out the windshield, or dropped out the window onto a windshield of a passing car, causing it to crash. Cheeks against the glass, their eyes widened. Over time, the people he cared for left him, which he saw as penance. Traveling Colorado to Boston, Texas to Bellingham and back again, staying only long enough to not be known. Shame would build upon shame as the shadows consumed him. Because a father and a son had died with that pole, that melon, 
and the darkness that had formed his identity. Years later, with a rock, he scraped something illegible to his ex-girlfriend in the dirt, but gave up as the letters lost form, dust thinning to bedrock. The air stung his naked body on the cliff's edge. The Coors factory, gray and dead in the sunset, a 300-foot drop to oblivion. Lights flickered like Morse code atop the factory silos. He wondered if they could see him at this distance. He moved like in a daydream, body rocking, muttering self-abasements at his feet. Rocks and shrubs stood below, small and silent, beckoning. The swaying became dangerous. When his eyes were drawn to two fawns and a doe weaving through the rocks like leaves in a stream, Bill jerked back from the height's edge. Stunned, he dressed hastily. He jumped in his 81 El Camino and sprayed dirt into the switchbacks as he flew down the mountain. Later, he'd tell me in hushed tones, must have been God that put those deer there. Parked alone on a desert highway, radio off, he would come to acknowledge the echoey voice of Agent Ramirez pulsing from his speakers. Ramirez wanted Bill to work saving our nation using a computerized, laser-guided listening and visual device. He was to start by testifying against Cyrus Bacon, chapter president of the Sons of Silence, in the murder of an ATF agent named Rory Blade. It was to be the trial of the century, bigger than OJ, he would tell me. A story that kept him mission hopping 18 years. In moments of intimacy, he would weep at the brokenness of his life. A family disowned, a son refusing to stockpile weapons, felonies. Few had sympathized with the, schizo- uh, with the schizophrenic B-movie action scenarios he believed himself a part of. He would eventually, reluctantly, try Seroquel with the suggestion that it might create a chemical barrier to the celestial lasers getting access to his mind. And it worked. Only to be dropped three weeks later as the voices that gave his life meaning started dissipating. He could not have the years of his martyrdom smacking of meaninglessness. He instead went back to four-hour showers and holding his breath to keep the satellite lasers at bay. Yet, he was the first to pray in the Hagen grocery store parking lot on our program outings. The first to say, I've got your back, with the more troubled souls. The first to lay his life on the line if you were in trouble. And the first to point to Jesus when the pressure got too much. I answer to a higher power, he shout as lasers were zapping his internal organs in my office. Whether you kill me or not, I don't care. I know the one I answer to. He was also the first to leave when he thought the conspiracy might endanger your life. I haven't seen him in 10 years. But God is not repelled by this kind of brokenness. His concern for the poor is intense and will not be thwarted. And you know what? He delegates his responsibility to us, his people. And how his people respond is an explanation for who God is. And if we recover our signature issue, how powerful a response. Isaiah 58, 10. 
And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. So how do we get there? Well, first we engage our own realization of our own self-poverty. To think of ourselves as being poor is not always something we're, we're ready to accept. But the reality is, every one of us experiences deficits in one way or another in our lives. So we have to own our poverty. We have to identify with poverty. What brought you and I to the table in the first place to encounter Jesus? It's a recognition of a spiritual poverty, right? We can all walk out into Birch Bay here and plan on swimming to the promised land of Hawaii. Are we going to get there? Not without Jesus. And it's not just about bringing awareness either. It's about engagement. It's actually walking alongside people. So first, we have to feel. When Jesus says we are a body, one in Christ, when our hand gets crushed in the car door, that's our hand, right? When our thumb gets hit by a hammer in Cairo, that's our thumb. You have to feel it. Years of apathetic avoidance, that'll cause a spiritual atrophy. Second, we have to restore our sight, right? We have to see it. One of the beautiful things about experiencing material poverty, which doesn't sound so beautiful, but what it does for those of us that have wealth, material wealth, is it shakes us out of that misguided perception that wealth brings us happiness. I think we need to give a correct definition of who God is to a watching world. A friend of mine is a pastor back in Bellingham, and he's got a number of non-Christian friends, but they won't go to his church to hear him preach. But when he preaches once a month at the mission, they want to come. Why do you think that is? Why would the non-Christian want to go to a chapel service at the mission? Well, one, they might have baggage with the church. But two, what kind of hope do you give somebody who's lost everything? I want to know that hope. Right? And so they go listen to the gospel at the mission. Maybe it's because a proud, unrepentant church can repel. Revelation 3 of that circular letter that went to seven churches, one of the churches Christ calls out, Laodicea, and its sin was not owning its poverty, saying it needs nothing. Verse 17 of Revelation 3. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The posture of health is dependency upon God. Poverty is the universal human condition. Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Those who are well have no need for a physician. If you think you're not poor, then you're far from the kingdom. You must travel through poverty to enter the kingdom. Our faith 
is a faith of a people empty-handed in need of the grace that God offers. Another story. Chaplain Aaron just pulled into the lower parking lot at work when he heard some erratic honking and shouting in a really rough-looking minivan pulled in behind him, screeching to a halt. He ignored it. That's what happens in downtown Bellingham. And it almost made it to the crosswalk. Um, I'm going to change this guy's name. Brian, a rather large, sinewy man, jumps out of the driver's seat, smiling and growling and twitching his eyes like a madman. Years ago, this man was trespassed for throwing apples and power tools at the mission. Chaplain Aaron, Chaplain Aaron, I know you. Ha <laughs> ha, twitch, twitch. You were at the Assumption Church Christmas meal last year, and you came to me there, and you knelt beside me and told me good things about me. Ha <laughs> ha, twitch, twitch. People haven't told me good things about me for a long time. Thank you, Chaplain Aaron. You told me good things. Thank you for that. Aaron nervously replied, It's, it's been a while, Brian. I, I haven't seen you around. What have you been up to? Ha <laughs> ha, twitch, twitch. Ha <laughs> ha. Aaron glanced at his van, and it was packed with all sorts of junk, and on the driver's seat was a big box of little apples. I loved you for that, said Brian. Can I pray for you? Twitch, twitch. Aaron eased his stance. Well, my, my oldest boy, he's 12, he struggles with mental illness, and it's been hard for our family. Would you pray for that? Brian quieted, and he knelt to the parking lot pavement, and he prayed. He prayed a most sensitive, quiet prayer for Aaron's son and for comfort for his family. And he touched Aaron in different places on his body as he prayed, his arm, his heart, his temple. And it felt natural and right. A man mentally broken, yet filled by the Holy Spirit of God. When he finished praying, Brian hugged him strong and tight and blessed him and handed him six little apples. Aaron carried the apples across the street to his office. And as he was about to open the door, Brian sidelined it across the street, breathless. Chaplain Aaron, Chaplain Aaron, <coughs> I forgot something. I forgot something. Luke 7, Luke 7, read it. Aaron later recounted this to me in tears. It's the story of the centurion that comes to Jesus asking for his dying servant to be healed. And Jesus said, nowhere in all of Israel have I seen a man with faith like this. And Aaron said to me, that's, that's, that's me and my son. James 2.5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? At the end of the day, there is nothing more subversive than friendship with people on the fringe. This person here with me is the big deal. Equal value. Needy in different ways, but beautiful 
in the image of God? Why was it that Jesus was so attractive in the land of misfit toys? Why? Because he offered friendship. True friendship, the kind that doesn't let people alone, but loves them where they are. Poverty is personal, it's connected, it's complex, it's being worked out in all sorts of different ways. For us, we have to stay humble, recognize that it's bigger than us, that we can't address it without the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ equipping us and filling us with strength. Come on up, Tyler. I know you want to ask me some questions. Yeah. Thanks, Hans. Um, yeah, we're just we're going to sit here kind of cafe style. And uh, yeah, I just had um, a couple follow-up questions, and, and I thought uh, hopefully you can, can help shed some, some light on this. But um, you talked about, could you summarize kind of your view of, of poverty? You tied in more, it's more than just not having stuff. I mean, yeah. can, you, can you explain that? You betcha. So as you saw from some of those stories that I shared, there's a whole lot going on when someone's experiencing deficits in life. And even from the video, you might have heard me say that poverty isn't just material, though it is that. Uh, but you have spiritual poverty. You have uh, physical poverty when you have ailments going on. You have uh, relational poverty. And the reality is people don't become homeless when they run out of money, at least not right away. They become homeless when they run out of relationships, right? That's, what, that's what's happening. And so it requires a relational response in, in, in one way or another. What can we personally do um, to, to help those in need? What, are, what, what would you say, especially um, when you're dealing with, with homelessness, what are some real practical things that, yeah. that we can do? Well, you know, most of our encounters with homelessness is when someone's holding a sign on the street side, right? Asking for money. That's typical. Uh, or, or we might have a friend or a family member who's wrestling with addiction uh, and finally got kicked out of their home. Um, or you might know someone who's experiencing domestic violence uh, from a, a, typically a boyfriend or a husband, and they're experiencing homelessness then. So how do you, how do you respond to that effectively uh, in a way that, especially like with someone who's panhandling, that isn't necessarily enabling somebody to stay stuck? That's always a concern. Uh, it's a concern I've always had. And the reality is you want to respond to people in a sense, at the stage of recovery that they're in, right? So if it's a true crisis, if Hurricane Katrina hits uh, and, and you need water and clothing, that's a crisis. You get that stuff to people right then. But once, that, once the bleeding stops, now a person's in a place of development. It's time for them to, to, to in a sense, be uh, empowered to be the solution to their own problems. And so when you can do that and help people along, along those lines and not do more than they're motivated to do themselves, uh, I find that's oftentimes very effective. But with the panhandler, for example, is that person in crisis? Pretty rarely is that a true crisis moment. Someone has an option to contribute to the recovery in some way. And so if you're giving them money, what that often does is keep them stuck in the woods. But what I do encourage people to do is enter into a relationship as safely as you can, right? 
Uh, I, I emphasize that for especially, you know, if you've got a five-star alarm going off in your gut, don't go down that alley to pass out sandwiches, all right? But get to know someone's name. Attention is the, the rarest and purest form of generosity. Give someone your attention. And that's a challenge. But that's, that's something that I, I find uh, one of the most practical ways, because you have to be in a relationship with somebody if you want to know how to really help them well. Yeah. Yeah, some of the most amazing experiences I've had is, is not just handing somebody something, but actually just sitting down and eating with that person. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and, and that relationship is, is really key. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what resources you offer people um, from the Lighthouse Mission? Like, what's available um, yeah. to, to people? So there's lots. I mean, the mission's pretty broad. Uh, we have, on average right now, 230 people staying there every night. That's men, women, and children. They're staying at the mission every night. Um, the resources that are available are pretty vast. That video that you saw is a little bit older. Um, we've got much bigger numbers now, and our drop-in center has gone 24 hours a day, uh, which added 80 beds to the mix. Uh, so there's everything under the sun, always trying to address people at the stage of recovery that they are in, right? Folks show up at different levels of recovery. So to get them in the doors, that's our drop-in center. Then we have Next Steps, which is our men's, men's program. We have an agape home, which is for the women and, and moms with kids. Uh, we have a higher-end programming. That's our, our um, New Life Center programming, and that's for the folks that are really working hard to get into recovery and stay in recovery. It's a year-long addiction recovery and Christian discipleship program. I will say the greatest change agent that we have ever seen is the Holy Spirit. And so you better believe we're making uh, uh, access or a, a, an atmosphere, uh, a space for people to encounter the Holy Spirit in a very real way. And that's, that's the bottom line, what we're all about. Um, and, and we're finding there's a few bottlenecks in our system that we're trying to expand. And that's maybe what you've seen lately in the news as we've been trying to partner with the city to uh, create a bigger version of our drop-in center. Um, how big is your volunteer need? Are there ways that, that we can help? If, if, if you're feeling compelled to, to help with the mission, are there, are there ways that, that we can help? Absolutely. Uh, of course, an operation like that isn't cheap. <laughs> so I thank you guys uh, uh, for all the, the, the support that this church gives the mission. I really appreciate that. Um, it's not easy. We have 40 staff right now, and uh, it takes real specialized care to be effective a lot of times uh, with the, the clientele we get. Um, of course, volunteering, though, is one of the best ways, and I love it. I love to get volunteers down there. That's, that's when your heart, I find, at least mine did, wakes up. And you're like, aha. And I recognize my own dependence upon God. As I realize I can't save everybody. This is a, a, a God thing where this has to happen. And um, what that does is it matures me and I become more Christ-like in the process as I enter deeper into my dependence upon the Lord. But volunteering options, our drop-in center, we've got a little cafe in there. If you want to learn to be a barista, uh, you can do that. We even roast our own beans. Um, that's a great way to, to connect and volunteer and get to know people's names. Uh, we do a lot of meal serving. We do a lot of envelope stuffing. We're all privately funded, so we're constantly uh, sending out flyers in the mail, which you, I'm sure many of you here receive. Um, uh, but we need also, I need volunteers to be on our board. I need volunteers with all sorts of uh, good expertise in a wide variety of things. If you're gifted in any way uh, and you want to help express that gift on, on behalf of the poor, uh, at the Mission downtown Bellingham, uh, 
get a hold of me. There's always places to, to get plugged in. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Hans. Yeah, and thanks thank for you for me. sharing your heart. Mm -hmm. um, band, you can come, come on up.